Good morning, folks. Welcome out to River Ridge. Welcome to those that are joining us online. Uh, we are excited to kick off a brand new series this morning, a marriage series called Together and to help us out. I have my lovely wife, uh, Sarah, up here with us. Uh, as I think about marriage, uh, one, of the, one of the things as a pastor that I enjoy the most is sitting down with young couples who are considering getting married. Uh, and sitting down with them and doing, going through some premarital counseling and just hearing their hopes and their dreams, the joy that they have in their relationship, and then to, to be with them on that day of their marriage where they are saying these vows, they, these commitments that they are going to stay together for a lifetime. I mean, it just fills my heart with joy to be able to do that and to walk with them through that season. On the flip side, one of the most heartbreaking things for me to experience is years down the road, a, a couple will be in my in my office and for them their marriage is dissolving it's crumbling and they're trying to figure out whether they even want um, to, to stay in it for the long haul they're thinking about throwing in the towel in a room this size the the health of the marriages that are present here will run the whole spectrum there are some that are happy and thriving and healthy and then there are others that are just barely hanging on by a thread and that, that's heartbreaking for me as a pastor to, to know and to realize that this relationship that is meant to bring so much joy in life and, and, and our lives often sometimes brings us some pain as well and no one enters into marriage thinking that it's going to end in divorce and yet depending on what study that you read about 50% of marriages will and I would say that that is unacceptable to God. In any other area of life, if you had something, if you possessed something that was so important and so valuable to you and you heard that there was a 50% chance of losing it, you would do everything in your power to save it. You, you would find the, the potential dangers and you would protect it from danger. And that's part of what this series is uh, going to do. It's going to allow us to see some of the common dangers that exist, uh, some of the common pitfalls that might exist in America, and how do we protect it from some of those and along the way what we're going to do is find out that it really is possible to have a God-honoring marriage that brings joy that, that has purpose that, that's strong and healthy that's full of fun and full of laughter and so for the next four weeks that is what we are going to do and, and God has so much to say uh, about this super important marriage. And what we'll find is that if we will align our marriages, if we will align our lives with what he says is best, we will have the marriage that we always wanted. So we are for the next four weeks going to invest in the marriages in this room so that you can have the marriage that you always wanted, that you can have the marriage that God wants. And we're also going to invest in the future marriages in this room. So if you're single, don't check out. Uh, because what you're going to find is that some of these principles, uh, it, it will lead you to the marriage that you want in the future. But a lot of the principles that we're going to, to discover over these next four weeks don't just apply to our marriages, but that they can actually be applied across a lot of the relationships that we have in life. So we believe there are a handful of key biblical practices and habits that will get you to the fun, uh, life-giving, passionate marriage that you want. So over the next few weeks, we're going to work on these key perspectives that we can learn uh, to get to the marriage that we want. We're going to look at what it means to be eye to eye as we are in agreement on what God's purpose is for our lives and by extension, our marriages. Then we're gonna look at what it means to be ear to ear and the importance of communication. 
Fist to fist is about how to handle conflict and resolve conflict in our marriages and how to fight fair. And then we're going to look at what it means to be back to back and shoulder to shoulder as we invest in our relationships through experiences together. So remember, none of these are quick fixes, right? Um, but we firmly believe that as we exercise these over time, they will result in the marriage that you want and that God wants for you. And the only way to do this is to make sure that you're on the same page together and that you're pulling in the same direction together. So this morning, we're going to tackle that first perspective of eye to eye and, and learn what does it mean to have the same view of marriage that God does. Um, I, I think oftentimes we come into marriage not agreeing on how to answer this question. What is the purpose of marriage? For some, they, they enter into marriage thinking that they are going into life that, that they found the one, the one that will complete them. And they, they think that life is just going to be full of joy and bliss with them. Uh, others enter into to marriage because they, uh, they, they've been together long enough and it's just the natural next step. And they say, well, they, these are the romantics in the room who say, well, I've, we've been together long enough, let's go ahead and get hitched. <laughs> uh, others, what it is, is they say, you know what, I, one of my life plans and dreams that I have is I want to be a mom or a dad. So it, marriage is the place where we can have and raise kids together. And still others will, will look at marriage as a, a cure for loneliness. They, they want to have a companion to walk through life. And I would say all of those are, are great reasons. There's nothing inherently wrong in any of them. And I, I think most of us have some mixture of those purposes in mind whenever we do get married. Um, but one of the things that we have to understand and why this question is so important is depending on how you answer this question about what is the purpose of marriage, it will determine the direction of your marriage and it will determine the expectations and the goals that you have for your marriage. And what we'll find is that if we don't have our goals set on God's goals for marriage, then we will walk through life and we will con consistently stub our toe and, and we will walk through this marriage. It's meant to bring so much life and it will fall short and we will feel frustration and dissatisfaction in this. Um, so to get the marriage that we want, what we have to be able to do is to understand what God's purposes are and then to align our purposes with his. So that's where we're gonna spend some time this morning trying to figure out what does God say is the purpose of marriage and to find out God's purpose for marriage I think we need to back up a step and say, what is God's purpose for life? If you're taking notes, one of the things that I've said time and again is that the main thing that God gets from my life is the person that I become. Mm -hmm. God is not as concerned with the accomplishments in my life or, or the accolades in my life as he is in the person that become, the, the man that I become. He's more concerned about my character. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 8, 29. He says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Other translations will say that, that, we, that he wants to conform us into the image of Christ. That as I walk through my life with God as my Lord and my leader, that over time there should become a family resemblance to Christ. That, that Sarah should begin to see more and more of my life looking more like Christ. That that the, that the words that I choose, that the attitudes that I have, that the actions that I have should look more and more like my saviors. So, so how do we know? I mean, that's such a, a kind of a broad idea of I want to become more like Christ. How do we know if we're actually making steps in that direction? How do we know if we are making progress towards becoming and looking 
more like Christ. Well, as you read through the New Testament, uh, one of, or, or the defining characteristic that comes up time and time again is love. Uh, Jesus one time was asked to, to boil down all of the commands of Scripture, and this is what he said to a, to a legal scholar. He said, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. J Jesus says the key to life is to make sure that your focus is on receiving God's love in, in your life, that, that you spend some time understanding and receiving God's love for you. And then the natural overflow of that is the way that you will treat other people, that, that as we receive God's love, that it should be reflected in our actions towards the people around us. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he was going to be crucified, he gathered together his disciples and uh, he, he wanted to give the, this parting advice. And this is what he said in John 13. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Jesus says the defining characteristic of the followers of his is how we love other people. Uh, and so if we were to combine all of these together, understanding that, that God's purpose in my life is to shape my character and, and the defining characteristic of uh, a Christian's life is love, then I would boil it down and say that God's purpose, God's primary purpose for marriage is to grow my capacity to love. Again, that, that's a lot different, I think, than, than what we normally walk into marriage thinking. God is looking at this and saying, I want to shape your life so that on the back end of your marriage, you are able to have this growing capacity to love people around you. Uh, for me, I, I often think of marriage as a tool in the hand of God. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated when I watch master carpenters and, and what they're able to do. They, somehow they are able to look at, at a block of wood or some piece of raw material, and they are able to visualize what that thing can become. And, and then they use their skill and they use their tools in order to bring to life this thing, this imaginative thing in their mind, and they bring this beautiful table or, or a, a beautiful piece of furniture out of it. And I often think of marriage in the same light, that, that God does have an end in mind for my life and for your life. His end is that we would look more like Christ, that, that I would look and love more like Christ. And so what he does is he said, I'm gonna use this amazing relationship and I'm going to begin to shape your life to grow this capacity to not just love your spouse well, but to love the people around you well. And marriage is uniquely different than any other relationship we have. The transforming work of marriage is that our vows connect us to the same person, to, this, to someone for the long haul. And it is this commitment, this endurance and perseverance over time that works on our character and shapes and grinds the rough edges off of us so that we learn what it means to love someone who is so completely different than us. The old adage that opposites attract is very true. And what we find is that over time, the differences that first uh, attracted us now begin to annoy us, right? When you were dating, their spontaneity was so fun and invigorating, and now it just seems flighty and irresponsible. Um, when you first met, you admired their introverted nature and how they could just stand back and take in a whole room. And now it seems like they're a stick in the mud. 
Chad and I are very similar, but we have our differences as well. And one of the things that I was attracted to in the beginning when we were dating was his emotional steadiness and what a calming presence it was. And after we got married, I asked him, why don't you ever get excited over anything? So over time, our spouse's differences can become burdensome, and we may find that we don't like them as much, and sometimes we may even not even feel like loving them. A God-honoring marriage walks toward those moments, and it forces me to face some character issues that I may never have to face otherwise. My impatience, my hypocrisy, my anger issues, my spitefulness and my conditional nature of love. Sometimes what is hardest about the first years of marriage and maybe the later years of marriage as well is not what we learn about our spouse, but what we learn about ourselves. Marriage, perhaps more than any other relationship, has the ability to bring our selfishness to the surface. And anytime we willingly confront our selfishness, it grows our capacity to love. But it takes some time to, to, for our, for our uh, love for one another to grow in that direction. And as I think about relationships, I, I think all, all relationships go through certain stages. And I want to cover two of them this morning. I think every relationship, when it first starts off, starts out in this immature love, this young love. And immature love asks this question, how can this relationship please me? At the beginning of a relationship, it's all about how this relationship makes me feel. They, they make me feel valued. They make me feel loved. They, they make me feel pursued. And we are attracted to this beginning stages of love. This is the, the puppy love stage. This is the, the honeymoon phase of a relationship. And it's, it's during this time that, that the butterflies are all flying around everywhere and you just feel them fluttering all the time. I mean, it, it's the time when, when you just smell their hair and you get goosebumps on, your, on the back of your neck or, or they just brush your hand and like, oh man, I finally found the one. Or, or you're listening to the radio and every love song makes sense. Like, yeah, they, they get me. Or, or, or you, you can spend hours walking up and down the Hallmark uh, aisle trying to figure out, like, man, these writers, how do they understand me? So, I mean, everybody walks through the, the, this initial stage, and it's just a natural part of what it means to grow in love with someone. Neuroscientists who study this kind of thing, though, would say that this immature love, this romantic love, it only lasts about 12 to 18 months, and, and then it, it disappears, and the trouble is, is that after this immature love, after the, the butterflies start, start fading away, uh, the real work begins, right? The, the blinders come off, the, the rose-colored glasses aren't working anymore, and yet you begin to, to look at the, the relationship through a real set of lenses, and you notice some things like, when did you change so much? Uh, we, we begin to notice some of their quirks. The, the, the puppy love stage is forced to grow up a little bit. Uh, the, the relationship cannot be sustained. Uh, there's no way for, for any relationship to be sustained by only this romantic love. That's not to say that it doesn't have a place in a relationship, in a marriage over a long, over a long haul, but it's not going to be the main glue that holds you together. So the question then becomes, once this inevitably happens, once the, the butterflies start flying away and you don't feel them as much anymore, once the, the roller coaster of emotions flattens out like driving through Indiana, what, what do you do with it? And I would say that there are three uh, possibilities that, that I see over and over again when couples 
get out of this 18-month puppy love stage. Some will look and they'll blame the other person. And they'll say that, that we should still be feeling this. And because I don't still feel the butterflies anymore, it's your fault. And, and they assume that the marriage is broken and, in, and irreparable. And they'll leave. And they will chase after the butterflies in another relationship. Only to find themselves consistently going through the same cycle over and over again. Uh, others will just, it, it will just accept it and they'll enter into this kind of get-along relationship and, and the relationship, the marriage, will look more like roommates and, and business partners trying to, to run a household and, and to raise some kids. And there's this almost sadness that enters in to think that this isn't what I signed up for. The third option, though, is to say this is a stage and once the stage ends I want to enter into and chase after God's more permanent purposes in marriage and I want to see this immature young love mature and grow into what God wants it to be and the question that a mature love asks is how can this relationship change me and honor God if I really want to see God transform me from the inside out, I need to concentrate more on changing myself than on changing my spouse. And if I'm honest, I have a lifetime of work to do just in focusing on what needs to change in me. We all know and recognize that if we want to get physically stronger, um, it's going to require some commitment, some exercise and exertion and discipline. I need to go to the gym even when I don't feel like it. I need to fight and struggle through one more rep, one more minute, one more mile. And if I do that, over time, I will look down and my belly is flatter, my arms are stronger. And the same thing applies to our capacity to love. Mature love is not a natural response. Christ-like love has to be chased after. You're going to have to fight for it. Close your ears, Chad, but sometimes it's difficult to love our spouse. <laughs> but that's what marriage is for, to teach us how to love. It'll take some work and some relational exertion. I need to choose to love even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't think he deserves it, and when I'm tired and I just want to check out. Marriage is meant to stretch our love and enlarge our capacity for it. So this begs the question, how? How do we grow in our ability and capacity to love? So we're gonna share a couple ideas. First, I will give us a priority to pursue and then Chad is gonna share a new perspective to consider. A first priority is my relationship with God. It is out of the overflow of my relationship with God that I have the capacity to love others and to love Chad. The healthier and stronger my pursuit of God is, the healthier and stronger my marriage will be, and really all other relationships for that matter. To have a marriage that honors God, uh, we must put God first, and then our spouse second. Uh, and if you're not married yet, then I would say the same thing. To prepare for a marriage that honors God, seek Him first. We can harm our marriages by getting this reversed and asking too much of our spouses. Our souls crave a relationship with God, but if that is lacking for some reason, uh, if there is a spiritual emptiness in our lives, it creates an ache that we go searching to fulfill, and we make demands of this relationship that only a relationship with God can actually satisfy. 
People will mistakenly look to their spouse to complete them, but that is an impossible and unfair expectation, and at some point, they will fail you. That's because you're asking your spouse to meet a need that they were never created to meet. Chad doesn't complete me. Only God completes me. And if you really want your marriage to thrive and grow, pursuing your relationship with God is the number one priority. Try me on this. Seek him first and see what kind of impact that has on your marriage. One of the ways that I often illustrate this with couples that, that come into my, my office is to say, is to kind of visualize this idea of making each person, each person owns this concept that I, I'm going to pursue a Christ likeness. I'm going to pursue this Romans 8:29 goal that God has for my life. And, and as each person does that, as each person draws closer to who Christ is, some of the relational distance that, that is often felt, you, you draw closer together as a family as well, or as, as a couple as well. Uh, Jesus one time said it this way, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says that, that the way to draw closer to him is that we have to remain connected to him. And I think that, that flies sometimes in the face of, of what we want to do. Sometimes we want to pull away, we get distracted away. We think that, that we can walk through this life out of our own power and try to live independent of him. But Jesus says if we do that, it's a fruitless life. It bears nothing. But to the extent that, that we will exert the effort, that, that we will discipline ourselves to remain connected to the vine, our lives begin to bear the kind of fruit that we want. And so what, what does that look like? What, what are those disciplines that force us to remain connected to the vine? It, it's the spiritual disciplines of life. It, it's prayer. It's spending time in his word. It's gathering together here on a Sunday morning in, in corporate worship. It, it's fasting. And to the extent that we will put ourselves in those kinds of positions, Jesus says that it will bear much fruit in our lives, that we will begin to look more like him. And I think that this idea, this theme of, of fruit is exactly what Paul had in mind in Galatians 5 when he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as I look at that list, it, can you imagine a better description of the ideal marriage than one that is defined by love and joy and peace and kindness and patience I can't and so what what this really paints for me is that as I make it my life's endeavor to chase after Christ as I begin to to, to fight to remain connected to him then I have this reserve I have this well to pull from to love Sarah with with Jesus's love with his peace with his patience and to the extent that, that each spouse will do that, that it, to, each, to the extent that each spouse will commit to chasing after that, each has this common well to pull from to create the kind of marriage that we always wanted. That's what God wants for our marriages. That, that's what he wants for our lives as individuals, to, to have this kind of fruit that uh, exhibits itself out in the ways that, that we love the people around us but if we want to grow in our love 
for spouse, for our spouse, for, for our wife or our husband, then first we have to make this priority of ours to chase after Christ-likeness first. And that comes from our relationship with God. But then also, I think we, we, we need to, to grab a hold of this new perspective. If you're taking notes, this new, new perspective to grab a hold of is the fact that God is my heavenly father-in-law. Oftentimes, and, and rightly so, we, we spend a lot of time concentrating our, our efforts and understanding and, and uh, leaning into this relationship with God as our Father. But part of what it really means also is to understand that, that Sarah is also God's daughter, which makes him my heavenly father-in-law. And he has a, a lot of expectations, and he's very interested and how I treat this daughter of his. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's saying that, that how we treat our spouses, particularly us fellas, has an impact on our relationship with God God feels very passionately and he is very protective of his daughter and if I treat her with inconsideration if I'm if I'm harsh in some way it matters to him and what Peter is reminding us is that that can have an impact that that can draw drive a wedge between me and God and I think as parents we understand that if somebody treats one of my kids poorly and they start coming around, I, we, we're going to have some issues. There's going to have to be some resolution to what they did to one of my kids before we become buddy-buddy again. And I think that it, it drives home the, the point that we have to understand that God sees her first as his daughter and I need to act accordingly. And I think that to the extent that, that we will embrace this, it, it can drastically change the way that we, um, that we treat our spouse, both husband and wife. And because one of the things that I think that, that we can wrestle with is, and one of the things that, that we can honor God with, is as we walk through this life together, is to recognize that, that our wives were first and still are his little girl. And that even when you are frustrated with your husband, God still sees him as his son. And he is committed to growing his life and growing his capacity to love others. It really is possible to, to have a God-honoring marriage and experience the fulfillment, the joy, the laughter the purpose that God has for it. But it begins with first understanding and first embracing God's purpose. And God says his primary purpose for your life as an individual is to shape you to look more like Christ, to grow in your capacity to love others. And he will use the marriage that you are in to do that. And I think that if we will begin to align our purposes up with what God says he wants out of the marriage and out of our lives, we will experience the marriage that we always wanted. So here's the challenge that I have for you this week. Begin each day meeting with God 
That's getting back to this John 15 of making sure that I'm remaining connected to him. Spend 15 minutes each day this week with God. And part of that time, when you, when you close, say this prayer. God, help me love your son or your daughter the way that you do. And see what kind of impact that has as you begin to align your life with what God says he wants out of your marriage. Let me pray for us. Father, um, we come before you understanding that, that you do have a plan for our lives, that, that what you want above all else is to shape our character, to shape our hearts, to look and to love more like Christ. And, and we understand that, that part of the way that you do that is through our relationships, through our marriages. So Father, as we leave here, I, I just pray that you would drive deep into our hearts a, a deeper desire an understanding of the importance of remaining connected to you, of first pursuing a relationship with you even above uh, our spouse and, and understanding that as we do that, that you will give us the kind of love and joy and peace and kindness to love the people around us. And then God, open up our eyes to, to see our spouses the way that you do as first your son and your daughter that you are deeply committed to. God, I, I just pray that these would resonate in our lives and that as we walk down this road together that you would begin a healing work, a, a, a restoration maybe in some relationships. God, you want so much for us to experience the joy of marriage, but it, it does take work on our parts. So give us the courage to do that. Uh, give us the perseverance to stick through it so that we can have the marriage that you want for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week for Ear to Ear. Have a good one, guys.